0: <laughs> that was uh that happened
1: <laughs>
2: a Pastor, a podcast about life in set-apart ministry. Each week we sit down to discuss our experiences and challenges in small-town parish ministry and in PhD work and ask others to join us as we try to figure out what the hell it is that pastors do and how to do it as best we can. How did it happen? How long did it take? Give me details.
0: So it's not a whole lot to say. Um, I'm playing a video game. Not paying attention to my child, as you do, because she's three and I, you know, I don't sit around and stare at her 100% of the time now.
1: Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. And uh, she goes into uh, Beth's office and I hear Beth go, what do you mean you've got a bead in your nose? (laughs) And I look over and, you know, she has a bead in her nose. Now, these are beads that I wanted to get rid of. It's just a huge bucket of plastic beads that I'm like, why? Why do we have these? And Beth, Beth is like, these are the most important beads in the entire world.
1: Which they clearly are.
0: Which is unfair. It's yeah. not exactly what she said. <laughs> and so it's in her nose. Andrea starts freaking out. It's in my nose. It's in my nose. And so, you know, we, we kind of hold her down and we're looking in and we can't get it out. She's screaming and crying. Okay, we got to go to the doctor. What? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'll, I'll blow it out. I'll blow it out. And she starts blowing her nose. She's like. <gasps> <sighs> <laughs>
2: and I'm like, Adrea, that's,
0: not, that's not how you blow your nose. She's like, I don't know how to blow my nose. And I'm like, I know. And so I'm, I'm mad because this shouldn't have happened because we just should have gotten rid of the beads. But I'm not that mad. Like, I'm, I'm concerned for her. And I'm like, you know, let's figure it out. Right. And so we go to like an urgent care. Uh, it's like 20 minutes down the road. And uh, urgent care was like, well, I guess we can maybe look at it. But if we can't figure it out, we'll just send you to the ER at UVA. And I was and Beth was like, wasn't me. Beth was like, OK, well, then we're just going to go to the ER. Bye. And so we, <laughs> we left. We went to the ER. They only let one parent in because of COVID, and so I went in, and uh, they were great. Like, the the ER there is actually quite good, and folks there are real sweet, and it was real good. At one point, you know, and she she's, you know, still kind of nervous and very uncomfortable. She's got a little bead in her nose, you know, and it's stuck pretty far up there, and so we're, we're kind of getting checked in and you know we're kind of in this lobby area and there's a couple other people around everybody's wearing masks and she kind of puts her mask down and just starts sneezing now I'm excited about this because (laughs) this might be this might we might be getting out of here without needing to get charged anything and I'm like yeah sneeze sneeze you know (laughs) if people are kind of giving her a look and I'm like she's got a bead in her nose everything's fine like she's just, just trying to there's no, we're not sick. You know, we're just trying to get the bead out of her nose. Nothing's working. And so we get admitted and they're all real nice. And Dre wants to know everybody's name. Daddy, who's that? I'm like, I don't know. You know, I've never met these people before. <laughs> um, but we had a great nurse. His name was Eric. He was really, really sweet. Um, we, we hung out in the room for a little bit. And then a med student came in and her, uh, shout out to Isabella. She was really great as well. Talked with Adrea, you know, like a person, which is really awesome. And, and I was very pleased. And so Adrea leaned back because Isabella's going to look up her nose. So she leans back. Isabella takes a little flashlight and she's like, oh, yep, yep, I see it. It's pretty far up there. It's green. All right. Well, why don't you, uh, you know, come on up again, Adrienne, and and in a little while, we'll get a a physician in here, and and she'll pop that out with like a little balloon. You know, I guess that's how they do it. They put a deflated little mini balloon in there, and when it's threaded in there, they expand it and pull it out, Hmm. which is cool. Um, Beth came at her with one of those really, with one of those metal, really small, like knitting needles, and I was like, "Oh, that's good." Sorry, crochet hook. Beth is Beth is correcting me. She's hoping she could hook the bead. That makes
1: sense. It was sense. a good, it was a good
0: idea. It was a good idea, but I'm sure from her perspective, its mommy has finally lost it. You know, and <laughs> <laughs> she's she's coming at me with some weapon. <laughs> Um, so when she, when, when Andrea lifts back up, like brings herself back up, the bead falls down a little bit in her nose and I see it poking just a little bit out of her nostril and Isabella is like, Oh, look at that. Well, I could see it right now. How about I go see if I can get the doctor real, real quick. And Adrea's like, Oh my God, the beads coming out. Oh, and she's like freaking out. She's like doesn't know what to do, you know. And she's like, I can feel it, I can feel it, I can feel it. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you know. And and I'm like, it's okay, honey, it's okay. She starts crying again. She's like, oh, can you help me blow my nose? And I was like, honey, I don't think I can help you figure it out. We tried. (laughs) And uh, this went on. And so finally, I uh, yanked it out of her nose.
2: (laughs) There you go. I I was like here,
0: (laughs) and I yanked it out. And I was like, here, honey, it's done. It's in my hand. And she looked at it and she gave it a look like I, I've never seen anything like it in my life. You know, she was like, oh, my God. You know, the, her face was hysterical. It really was. It was very funny. And uh, the doctor came in three seconds later. And she was like, is it over? I was like, yeah, I got it in my hand right here. Oh. And then there was this really awkward moment where we all kind of looked at each other like, You know, I have to resist. I have to resist saying, "I'm the doctor now." Like I have to resist that. Like I and I didn't. I didn't say it. You know, I didn't say it. Huh? Seems like seems like you people are useless. Now, if I was the doctor, if I was a real doctor and I walked in, I'd have been like, "Cool, that'll be a thousand dollars, (laughs) please."
1: You know, (laughs) I'd have
0: have said some bullshit like that. But they were really great. They were really sweet. They they checked her nose out and. And, they, and the doctor was like, Adreya, I'm just, I'm just here to listen and look at your nose and listen to your breathing and see if I can hear any whistling, you know, Ooh. like if there's something else in there or that's how she put it. I'm, I'm looking to see if I can f- hear any whistling. And Adrea said, um, I don't know how to whistle. Da- <laughs> Daddy knows how to whistle. And I'm like, I do. <laughs> And and they thought that was funny. I was like, that's good. I'm glad you think that's funny.
1: (laughs) Uh,
0: um, I don't know how to whistle. (laughs) I'm like, okay, okay. (laughs) she, She gets off the bed. She's like, can we go home? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, no. I'm like, no, the attending physician needs to come in. I'm like, oh, great. i already done it, but that's fine. The attending physician came in. And he handed Dre. He, he put a piece of paper, get, put, put it out for Adria. And he was like, young lady, once you take this paper, you can finally go home. And Adrea jumped off the bed and grabbed the paper. And she looked at me and I was like,
1: let's get out of here.
0: <laughs> and then this is the last part of the story. We're leaving. We're flagged over by like the you know, like the exit, I call them the exit receptionists, you know, any, Mm. the second group of, of receptionists who, who handle like the goodbyes at doctor's offices. And, uh, and in this case, she's just checking this, these, these two folks were checking uh insurance and stuff like that. And so we got their insurance information and Adrea is regaling them with this story of the bead (laughs) and, uh, and they thought that she was great, and so they gave her a do- a doll. What? There's a doll that's pre packaged in like like in like a Christmas present doll, you know, for like for like disenfranchised young people oh, who no. go to the ER. They just are like here, and I'm like, I'm like, Look at her. <laughs> it's like what the fuck are you doing?
1: Stop! It. Reward
2: her for this. <laughs>
0: Yeah, she put it up there. The doctors are like, how did the bead get up there, Andrea? And and Andrea was just staring at them. She was like, I don't know. (laughs) I'm like, liar. You're you're a liar. You're a liar. I've got you. (laughs) I know how you stuck it up there, Andrea. (laughs) And so she got it. She was real excited. She's like, thank you so much. And then she said, look, Daddy my prize and i'm like no (laughs) it's not your prize it's not your prize for for daddy getting a thing out of your nose
2: (laughs) oh my gosh
0: and that was my trip to the er with my child and my wife but i but she wasn't there she was just in the car (laughs)
2: Well, I feel like you won the dad award for tonight. That was yeah. I good.
0: felt I felt like I was pretty good. I was compl- I was not pleased. I didn't complain to her because that's not right. But I was not pleased. I was like, God "Damn it! Get a bead in your nose. Are you kidding?" Wait, those beads? The beads I specifically asked to get rid of? <laughs> those beads? Fascinating. Well, when we get our four hundred dollar bill, <laughs> no, I don't think it'll be that bad.
2: Ugh, I never know. I hope it's.
0: You never know. You never know. Maybe I could be like it was COVID related. <laughs> the state will pay for it. <laughs>
2: maybe, maybe, maybe. I uh, I had my last meeting with my missional network, who are how all how did that ancestors. go? It, one of them was like, I mean, you can apply for unemployment. And I was like, I don't think that I would, I didn't think that was how that worked for pastors. And he was like, no, 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 it's not. But you were technically fired because of COVID, I believe. And I'm sure that the district superintendent will write a letter saying it. So like, if you that's need a letter true. to get money, you just let us know. And I was like, okay, that sounds that sounds real neat.
0: Yeah, that sounds right. I think that's good. I think that's good you should definitely do that to Mm -hmm. be honest
2: well we'll see um the I have somebody coming to see the house tomorrow uh so I'm really hoping that works out because if that works out then I'm not on the hook for any rent after I move which will be nice um because the way the Tenants have no rights in North Carolina, and uh, the way the rental company has this lease set up is it's a year long lease, and I'm responsible for the whole year unless they re-rent it, and then I don't have to pay it. Um, so, so that's where we're at. And they, they they fixed the window, which is great. It only took them two weeks and two days, and they fixed the roof, which is great. It only took a couple months, and. Um, you know, a lot of laundry on my part as it just continually dripped on my bed. Uh, Solid, yeah, yeah.
0: Landlords, man, anything that has "lord" in the title, yeah, is probably not good.
2: Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah.
0: Prob- probably not high level. You know, um, eh, what are you going to do? <laughs> Except, of course, for the Lord, <laughs> which you know I've come to. I've come to re- I've read some interesting um, uh, uh, progressive Calvinist takes on like political theology takes on that. Hmm. And I don't hate the arguments. You know, the, the, the arguments are, are basically rooted in uh, like Protestant, like, like Calvinist total otherness of God. Hmm. And, you know, and and, and by, by kind of declaring God as the only Lord with a capital L. And then placing God transcendently beyond all hierarchical systems um, does some interesting, like, subversive work, you know, that I think is interesting. And so some of these progressive Calvinists will say things like this is why um, uh, the arguments for church hierarchy are null and void, because God is the Lord over the church, and everybody in the church is equal under God's lordship. And so there is no church hierarchy or, and the same thing with the state and yada, yada, yada. There are plenty of, of arguments against it, but within the, the matrix of it, you know, men and women and trans folks and, uh, or what I should say is cis and trans folks. You you know what I mean? Like, like people from the whole variety of progressive Calvinists make, you know, kind of fit into that and make some of those claims and don't really see a lot of problem with it. I can dig it. I could dig it. And I still like the whole lordship stuff. I, I find that to be at least homiletically helpful for old white people.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, speaking of lordship stuff, do you want to talk about, is it the Jericho rally?
0: Oh, boy. what What nonsense. What nonsense is that? What's your take on the Jericho rally, Joe? Before uh, so- I...
2: I did not, I know that we said we wanna talk about this and I fully intended to like read an article or a summary or something, but then I had if a member of my congregation who has COVID, who's about to die, we think I had to go like 10 rounds with verizon to get the church phone changed over and so i I have read nothing didn't even really know it was happening until after it had already happened um i heard from uh from people who were in my street medic collective that there's a thing happening in dc and that like if there's anybody traveling up they could connect us with people to like help medic um, because you know there was a MAGA rally happening, so I didn't realize that all of this was connected together. But so, is the Jericho rally like a bunch of evangelicals saying great things about Trump? Like, what was it?
0: So, it's the Jericho rally was um, an evangelical thing. Um, I, I almost, I almost think it's a little unfair to name it an evangelical thing. It's a Trump Christianist thing Mm. because uh, while I lay many evil things at the feet of all evangelicals, um, there were plenty of evangelicals that were startled and disgusted by it. Okay.
1: Um,
0: So it's named after um, the story of, uh, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, of God tearing down the walls of Jericho. And, uh, the point is, is that through this rally, uh, God will, um, you know, put Trump back on the throne and, and the walls of corruption will come down. It's very theatrical. It's very, very, very Broadway. Um, and, uh, shofars were, were blasted throughout, you know, this rally and, Eric Metaxas spoke and babbled inanely for a little while about Bonhoeffer and the Mike Liddell, the my the my pillow guy was there. Um, My
2: pillow guy was there.
0: Do you not know that he's a big Trump guy?
2: I feel like, yes, I've heard this, but like
0: so. So I don't. What? (laughs) So you really you really need to take a moment. Like, we'll, we should still talk about this, but, but you, you really need to, after, after this is done, just take a quick moment, and I'm sure you can get on YouTube and find highlights. This was a six-hour event. What? Um, and, and it was telecast. It was, it was, like, streamed, and there were all these speakers um, uh, and all these people. Uh, and, and there were some people that really made it clear to, you know, who were commenting on it, like to, to say black and brown and Asian and white people were there in force. Like it was a it was a it was a diverse group of psychos um, of, of Christian, you know, nationalists
1: cool.
0: who who were there uh, to talk about how God has revealed to them in a dream that Trump will continue to be president of the United States. And there isn't anything that Satan or the Democratic Party can do about it.
2: Well, wow. and,
0: uh, and every 30 or 40 minutes, they would plug my pillow. What? I am not lying. I am not lying. You should oh look God. at it. Eric Metaxas <laughs> said, type, uh, I'm going to get this wrong, but after a big kind of nutty speech, that he made about you know resisting the, the forces of evil and knowing that that Trump will be president. He said he paused his speech to say, and make sure you type in code word eric for 10% off of your next my pillow order.
2: You are shitting me.
0: I'm not shitting you. I'm not shitting you.
2: Well, that explains the tweet that I saw.
0: Yes, <laughs> I think I know the tweet you mean. Yes.
2: It was it was something <laughs> like the cost of my pillow or something.
0: Well, that, and somebody made a, somebody did a, uh, <laughs> a quote, a Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote. And then at the end it said, that's all you should type in code word Dietrich for 10% off your my pillow <laughs> order. And I was like, oh boy, well, like it's, yeah. it, it's, 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 I don't even know what to say. Like, like it was outrageous. Um, and so, so telling, you know, it's just, this is what it's always been. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. kind of uh,
0: pagan in the pejorative sense i don't mean neo pagan you know i don't mean wiccan mm-hmm. i mean i mean ancient paganism aligned with the state aligned with the mystery cult aligned with with violence and power um, mixed with you know kind of alchemy uh, mixed with capitalism you know which is really to say all of it anyway which is just to mm-hmm. say alchemy <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. and uh um and then after that proud boy gangs uh roved around dc and burned uh black lives matter flags and stole yeah. them from church property and burned them and stuff
2: i was livid about that um i thank you for telling me about this farce of of a rally um but like i, I want to think of I, I I swear I heard this somewhere. I think I've said it on a podcast before, um, but there's this this idea that like um, mega churches are just a symptom of like the end of Christianity in America. That like these big kind of large events are are what you see at the end of a religious movement that's kind of burning through its fuel i mean like the way like a red giant does at the end of its lifespan like the reason that the sun will eventually expand to like at least consume venus and mercury maybe us and maybe even mars but it's it's the the star running through the end of its fuel before it novas um and so, like these big events like this, or if if they even are big, but the, like these kind of huge theatrical, um, not really based in any reality, but just just kind of like blowing smoke in the air. Um, this is uh, this is just kind of a symptom of the end of Christianity in America, and I like that, and I think that's great, and I'm here for it, I'm ready <laughs> for the end. <laughs>
1: um,
2: yeah,
0: I, I I hear what you're saying, I do, and I think that's a good take on it. I the, so some of the evangelical takes of folks that were horrified mm. and, and and discuss it because, because I really want to make this clear, like, like there, there are a number of Rod Dreher. I'll send you the article. Rod Dreher wrote an article on it in the American conservative and he wow. was horrified. Wow. Rod Dreher, the theocratic, crazy person, you know, like, like yeah. the, the guy who, the guy who, who thinks radical leftist leftism is, is, stalinism like like (laughs) that guy that that crazy that that person wrote a giant article on it for the american conservative and said i have i am sick to my stomach i can't believe what i am seeing you know and and uh and there are these evangelicals who responded to it he was and they who were also disgusted, and they were like rod this is just this is just the script right like like every beat of it is just evangelical mega church life, you know. Um, um God has told the same thing that drives somebody to say, God told me to break up with you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you know, within that, the whole purity movement nonsense is the same stuff that causes Eric Metaxas to say, God has revealed to me that that there was election fraud and Trump is the victor.
2: Yeah. Um, do you know even even Beth Moore not not yeah. even Beth Moore because Beth Moore has been making little baby steps for a while now, but Beth Moore had this tweet condemning like Trumpism and Christian nationalism, Christian nationalism in particular, uh, and I followed that discourse more than I followed anything from this rally, because boy I have a lot of thoughts about Beth Moore. Um,
0: sure, I don't know a ton about Beth Moore. I, I know I'd see her Twitter presence, but I don't have a ton um, of, know a ton about her.
2: there wasn't like a Beth Moore study being offered every season for the women's groups at your church? We didn't
0: have any women's groups at the church. Well, let me, let me rephrase. Some of the churches I attended were very large, but I was also, I was also like elementary through very early high school when I was attending those churches. And so I was not clued in on some of the adult programming, you know? So I'm sure there was, but, but nothing that I remember.
2: Yeah. So I, so the thing about Beth Moore is that um, she, is, she knows her Bible. Like she knows stuff backwards and forwards, could, could teach a New Testament class uh, that would give you basically everything you need to know um, with some harmful theology thrown in there. Uh, but, but what she does in a lot of her studies is to like give you a bunch of historical context and make you really feel like you're learning a lot of stuff as you go along the study. Like I, I have one, um, that I pilfered from my mother that is a study of like the life of Paul called to live as Christ. Um, and I flipped through it a couple of times. I never actually, I like, sat down and read through it. Um, but she's just, she's like, she's, teaching women stuff about the bible whereas like us you know a bunch of women's groups that have existed over time are a lot of like this is how you parent well or this is how we deal with emotions in our families um which like it's important to know how to parent well (laughs) which is important
0: but i know i take what you're saying i really do
2: yeah so so she does a lot of teaching i mean she's she's a teacher and she's doing this within like the Southern Baptist Convention, right? Like she is a woman who is teaching, and honestly, like a woman who's preaching—we're just not calling it preaching. Um, she, but there's there's still harmful theology in what she's teaching. Not everything she teaches is like critical method approved. Um, there's some stuff that you're just like, I don't know if that's true. So there's, there's pieces like there's, she's problematic. Um, but she has in recent years apologized for, um, homophobic things that she's taught. She has not fully like recanted of that, but she's apologized. Like she's acknowledged the harm that her teaching has done. She's really spoken out about, um, women in women in ministry women in teaching roles um she like spoke out during like the church two movement um and she's she's been making these steps this way and not not in like a really canny way or a really um what's the word i want where it's uh political no. maneuvering
0: not, not like a, not like a, a strategic way, not like in a way that is going to benefit her or is that what you're trying to say?
2: Yeah. Or are you thinking more
0: like, more like a critical way?
2: Yeah, I guess, I guess I'll think of it later. Cause it's the word that I wanted for David in my sermon for this Sunday. Um, but yeah, like she's, she's not doing it for like political gain. It really honestly seems like God has gotten to Beth Moore's heart in this moment. Um, And so for her to be like Christian nationalism is a sin and we need to deal with it um, is is astounding. And I saw saw a lot of people, a lot of uh, LGBTQ people who have been harmed by her work in the past because their mothers absorbed it and have shunned them um, and, and really haven't taken Beth Moore's apologies to heart. And honestly, like, she could do more. Um, but a lot of people are like, yeah, no, she's still a homophobe. So like this doesn't matter to me, but I think the, um, the more, the, the, the larger read that I think is important in this because the harm that she did is important and we need to acknowledge it, but also she's speaking a truth to people who, would not hear it from anybody else like beth moore is talking to her conservative people and saying like this is scary and we can't do this anymore and that's that's important i think so i've been following- i, I
0: agree i think that's really good i'm glad you gave me some more of that context no and then you know i uh, the southern baptist convention is so hard because for you know a trillion reasons but like we talked months ago when we were talking about the right wing takeover of United Methodism, like mm-hmm. it, it's a, it's a really good, the Southern Baptist convention's history is a good comparison to Methodism because the Southern Baptist convention was also taken over by, by right wingers, you know, and that, that's part of the reason why it's set up the way it is now. Um, you know, in, in my grandmother's lifetime and you, and there was a time when the Southern Baptist convention was, a pretty moderate denomination where you had um folks that of course were as i don't think jerry falwell senior was a southern baptist but he might have been but you have folks like that and you had martin luther king jr mm-hmm. you know, and because he was a southern baptist you know and, and and you had uh i mean the southern christian leadership conference was full of southern baptists you know and 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 in 1978, there was a strategic right-wing takeover of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is, which was done by the same kinds of people that took over United Methodism, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So for Beth Moore, I say all of that because like, I think that it's important when we think about some of these Christian leaders who, who are making baby steps to remember the traditions that they're speaking fr- from and that they're formed by, and so for Beth Moore to be formed by the Southern Baptist Convention and to be even saying any of the things she's saying is a big deal. Um, and so I, it doesn't excuse anything, like it doesn't excuse the homophobia, it doesn't excuse any of that, but that, that's I think still a big deal. Uh, the Christian, I, I personally think, and I think you'd agree with me, Like I think that until the Christian church in this country can truly repent and divorce itself from Christian nationalism, it's dead. There's really nothing Mm -hmm. we can do. I think that's true. Um, I I'm going to say this and, and I'm totally ready to be pushed back on this. I think it's even more important than LGBTQ inclusion right now. Mm. Um, mostly because I think it's, it's enmeshed in that. Like I, I think that um, homophobia and racism and sexism in the church is a is, is mesh in the overarching Christian nationalist narrative. And so I think that if you can if, if that can be attacked and dismantled, then I think that we'll find that all these other things will, will change too. I say that purely from anecdotal evidence in my church, when, when I served as a pastor, like the folks who were not touched by the evangelical Christian nationalist stuff, but who were, would still identify as conservatives were people that after working with and praying with and studying with were people who were absolutely able to see, well, of course, queer people are, are, should be included in the church, you know what I mean? Like, well, well of, of course women should preach. Like, of course, all of that should be true, you know? Um, but I think that the folks who were enmeshed in that uh, are, are still the folks who've rejected that. Like, nope, none of that can be true. None of that can be possible but that's, that's purely anecdotal. I have not done research on that.
2: Yeah. And, and I wouldn't, I also don't want to make a, pl- a claim without having done rigorous research and, and we're, that's not what this podcast is for. Right. No. But, <laughs> um. but, but I have the sense that that's true Um. that, that there is a, a toxic masculinity and a patriarchy and um, often homophobia and and all sorts of other type of phobias come along with this patriarchy and, and toxic masculinity. That's really, that's all really baked into Christian nationalism because Christian nationalism is following a strong man. It's not following a woman. I mean, I guess a woman could be in this place, but like not in America. Um, and, and because well, I mean, there, our- there
0: are, there, I don't mean to interrupt you, but they're like, I, I think, I think that that is true, but I think that, as we look at certain congressional candidates, and we as we look at um, the rise of white women taking leadership wow, roles man. within this camp, I don't always know how true that is anymore. Hmm. Um, I don't get me wrong; what you're saying, I think, is correct. But I think that we're we're even seeing some trends like that change. I mean, in 2028, when Ivanka Trump becomes president, we'll definitely
2: see that. Well um you might not be wrong um but but Ivanka Trump would be president in a um a toxic feminine way I mean in a way where uh like the traits and the leadership that she would put forward would either be performatively feminine um and still toxically masculine or just toxically masculine
0: Right, right. I know what you're saying. I really do. Like, like yeah. I, and I don't. I really don't disagree. I'm just pointing out that the um that that it continues to become more complicated. This is actually something that uh, this is not me praising Rod Dreher at all because I, I find him ridiculous in a hundred ways. But in his article, I read the whole article. Um, it's really long, but I really recommend it. I'll send it to you. Uh, okay but but in in the article like he's his whole thing is 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 still this whole woke left business that
1: wow and
0: he interprets the um what happened at the jericho rally as the as the other side of the woke left coin that's how he interprets it in his article Hmm. and so which i think is misguided like i think it's outrageous because what actually happens is the Jericho rally, in my opinion, <laughs> actually vindicates all of the fears of the left. Like, mm-hmm. like, the, the left has just been saying, this is all true. This has all been happening. And then it happens. And then Rod Dreyer's like, well, no, it, the left and this Christian nationalism is the same thing. I'm like, no, it's not. It's, it's not that mostly because he's wrong about the woke left. I don't know what any of that means.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but uh, one of the things he points out in his article is uh, you know remember like this isn't just a bunch of white people at this rally. It's not even that there's some token black folks. There are black and brown people um, um, blasting shofars in the crowd.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There are black and brown people uh, uh, speaking in tongues and 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 declaring that Trump is president forever. Like. Like, is it whiteness? I mean, he doesn't have the vocabulary to talk about whiteness, you know? Right. You know, he does. So, so like he, he kind of fails to understand it in that way. But like, I think his, his pointing out that it's more complicated than the average liberal interpretation, I think is, is correct. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a little bit more complicated. Not that you and I are talking that way. I really, I, I'm not saying that. But I do want to point that out like like and we've seen that at the 2019 General Conference. Yeah. So we already kind of know that's true. Like we already know that that the the kind of spreading of this Christian nationalism and this evangelical, you know, garbage uh, has has taken root in certain black and brown communities all over the world. Um,
2: Yeah.
1: And,
0: and I'm not saying therefore it's a black and brown problem. That's not what I'm saying. But, mm-hmm. but what I'm saying is it's slipperier than, than um, the kind of stark image, the, the stark way that sometimes we, we talk about it. Um, I don't really have a point. I'm just putting it out there.
2: No, and I think you're right. I, and there's a lot of value that, that's uh, what you're saying is something that I have um, come to really think a lot about in the past year. Uh, there's there's a member of the, the group that I'm working with to remove the local Confederate statue. Um, and and he frequently says, like, not all skin folk or kin folk like yeah. that, that even though you, you are being impacted by these systems, that does not mean that um, you're going to see the struggle that needs to happen. Uh, I, and I have a friend of mine who is really, who's a member of Cherokee nation who moved back here to be where their ancestors are from. Um, and, and as we were trying to find somebody to do a land acknowledgement for, for, um, a a interface service that I was doing they were talking about uh different people who might be willing to do it and I brought up somebody that I knew and and they were like oh please please not that person that person is very colonized um and and the reason that person is colonized is because the way that person came out of um addiction and out of time in prison was through a very evangelical understanding of jesus which comes with with a colonized view of the world um i I honestly think that there is a lot of really toxic ideology that gets carried along with the gospel and, and because the gospel is in there, anybody can pick it up and anybody, anybody will see the goodness that's in the gospel and like the saving grace that's in the gospel, but then also have all of these other ideas that come along with it because that's how it was presented to them. I mean, I think that's part of what Michelle was saying in our last podcast is that, yes, uh, yes. yeah. And I think that uh, that's part of what Michelle really struggles with um like not to not to speak for her but as she was talking about um the the separation between uh, indigenous people who are christians and indigenous people who are trying to follow the uh, what's been given to them by the creator i i think part of the struggle there is that indigenous people who are christians always have to fight against that the the colonization that came along with the presentation of christianity um and yeah so like diversity diversity whether it is in uh gender or whether it's in skin color like that that's not necessarily an indication that anything's going right like liberalism has shown us this but we're also seeing this more broadly just because the united states is more broadly (laughs) diverse um and and you you just kind of can't get away from it and so like there's no real indication Uh, just because of the the number of diverse people in your group like then then we really have to talk about like what is justice in these moments and what what is god calling us to do in these moments and Mm -hmm. and like you you cannot set someone free from their colonization and you cannot set someone free from their inherent sexism directed toward themselves um without having formed a really deep relationship with them and without having them without having trust and without them having to have a reason to um to try to look for a better way like all this stuff goes really really deep as as i think both you and i know as we've like come out of even even just being evangelical adjacent a lot of this right. stuff takes a long time to clear out um you when, when it's in power, you know, like when Trump's in power, um, as, as the religious right has tried to build to a president like Trump for a long time, um, it's really hard to be like, uh, God doesn't want us to do this because like, look, we're, we're in power. Doesn't God bless those who, who God loves, who are following God's ways. Like that wisdom tradition is there. It's like, they are thinking things that have a biblical basis. It's just that they're missing right. the other threads in the gospel, in, in the Bible, like we've talked about before.
0: No, I think you're right. The, um, uh, the Vincent Lloyd book that I read for political theology, the religion of the field Negro,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, one of the things that I, I find really fascinating and really uh, difficult about that book as I'm continuing to reflect on it, is is lloyd's naming of multiculturalism as whiteness
1: Mm -hmm. you know
0: and 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 as i'm digging as i dig deeper into that book and as into some of the the ways of of his thinking and some of his source material like the there there are waves according to lloyd and, and i think this is true there are sort of waves of uh black thought that um I think that uh, a lot of white folks and, and, and folks who have been, you know, who are kind of in that realm uh, miss. And, and I certainly missed, you know, and, and Lloyd, I don't know if Lloyd would identify himself in this way, but, but Lloyd has more in common with, with what, what he, I think in that book would call something like the third wave of black thinking hmm. and in which, um, so in the first wave, uh, which James Cone is sort of a part of, is this kind of Black Power movement wave, you know, in, in, uh, and in uh, and of Malcolm X and and many other different folks, Stokely Carmichael and 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 others, you know, who who really who, who identify um, many of the moves that like Cone makes, right? ontological blackness they might not put it that way but but kind of things like that
1: Mm -hmm.
0: um and that would sort of be the first wave the second wave and and so that's sort of rooted in like liberation and stuff like that the second wave that at least lloyd identifies and i don't i'm just going with what lloyd is saying is this sort of move towards contextual theologies and contextual thinking Mm -hmm. that lloyd identifies as a really white project oh um which which is it was hard not like,
2: prepared for the rug to be pulled out from underneath me as quickly as it was in that moment <laughs> yeah
0: yeah now now that's actually something i'm still kind of struggling with lloyd on but but i i'm i'm going with it for a little bit and and lloyd kind of names um cone's later work as a culprit of that hmm. um uh because for for lloyd he sees this primarily as as a symptom of multiculturalism like that says you know okay well i'm speaking as a black person you are speaking as a as a uh, latin american person you are speaking as a queer person you are speaking as all of these things and these contextual thinking this contextual thinking is fine but but lloyd lloyd kind of wants to say the, the problem with this way of thinking is that it sort of fails to identify um where where in part, where power lies, but but for Lloyd, it, it sort of fails to identify where where God really is, which is which is for him, I think, the central problem of multiculturalism. Well, God is everywhere. God God's in all of these different ways of expressing, you know, things. And and Lloyd wants to say, no, God isn't. Hmm. God is poor.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: You know, period. And and it's not that. God's context context is poverty. It's that where there is oppression and no power, there is God. And so Lloyd doesn't really care. You know, I, I'm might be putting words in his mouth, and somebody correct me if who listens, Rick Elkendi, you know, <laughs> if I'm wrong, please correct me. Like like Lloyd, Lloyd doesn't for, for Lloyd, he, he would say, yeah, if, if, if a black and brown person is supporting Trump, I, I don't care. That's bad. It doesn't matter that they're speaking from their context. Who gives a shit, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Who gives a flying shit, you know. But but anyway, like the third wave that Lloyd sort of identifies is this. And we've talked a bit about this with with a, the theorist Sylvia Winter, Um. Uh, the third wave of black thinking is identifying blackness as a metaphysical problem, and uh, and saying uh, sometimes it's called Afro pessimism,
1: hmm.
0: where where these theorists say, well, actually blackness, you know, is is a is a metaphor, is a shorthand for a, a kind of um, metaphysics of evil or the subhuman that is that that is baked into all western discourse
2: yeah yeah
0: and so there might not be liberation without the total overthrow of western metaphysics and discourse
2: Oh well, I'm here for that. Let's do that.
0: And and I but I find that I find that to be kind of diff- fascinating in a lot of ways. So like Sylvia Winter talks about man, we said this on the podcast. Sylvia Winter talks about man with a capital M as sort of an identifying feature when 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 the West talks about man,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're
0: not really talking about the human being. They they're talking about a metaphysical category that only certain beings fit in. Right. Um, and that's baked into its literature and its fiction and its poetry and, and its metaphysics. Um, I'm, I'm going to start reading uh, another theorist. Um, I might pronounce his name wrong. I think it's pronounced Akila Membe. I could be wrong. Um, who's an African theorist. Mm-hmm. And, and he does very similar moves. He's got a book called The Critique of Black Reason, where he, he identifies blackness you know, and wants to talk about blackness as a category um, that that is already sort of pre-inscribed. And so um, there's a sense, you know, kind of in Lloyd uh, and and, uh, these other thinkers that Lloyd sometimes comes across to me as this really close-minded insular thinker that says, well, if it's not black, I don't want it. And by black, I don't mean skin color. Because I don't care. You know, it, 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 black as a, as a real category, really for, for Lloyd in some ways, black as the only thing that is both God and human. So, so blackness is, is actually divinity and humanity. And anything that would not identify as black uh, might not be really human and it might not be really God. Um, hmm. which, is, which is interesting. You know, now, now, once again, I might be putting words in Lloyd's mouth, but I don't think I am. Like, as I read the book, there are times where that comes across pretty, pretty starkly. And so, like, there... So why do I bring this up? Well, well I, I, I thought a lot about Lloyd while watching parts of this Jericho rally and thinking about some of this other discourse and, and particularly surrounding context, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and the contextual thinking and contextual theologies, like, like it's it's a stark It's a stark thing. Like, no, you know, it's, it, God is black, and that's it. You know, well, well, well. I'm not black. I'm Latin American, and I identify God in this way. Yeah, yeah, that that's fine. Uh, you're already missing the point. You know, Lloyd might say, um, because the multiculturalism in particular is what's getting to me. You know, because Lloyd, there are times where Lloyd sounds like he, he just, he, he sort of doesn't want any liberal or democratic society, <laughs> hmm. you know, that, that, that the whole move of multiculturalism itself is bad, um, which I find interesting. I don't know. I don't know. I'm still chewing on that. So nobody quote me, but I'm so I'm still chewing on it. But uh, yes, yes, the the uh, this notion that that it's all already built into Western thinking and therefore any attempt to kind of broaden Western thinking by making it multicultural is already white. Like it's already a move towards whiteness or when winter says until we overthrow the Western way of thinking about human beings, which includes theology, social sciences, Literature, all your faves,
2: right, right. <laughs> you
0: know, um, we will always have black people equals less than human. Um, yeah, I I, find, Yeah,
2: I, I, I am a hundred percent on board with that at this moment, much like I am with a lot of new ideas that are presented to me in context of learning. Um, But like, you know, we all go through phases of of fun new ideas, but like that strikes me as really true. Um, Earlier this evening, I was on a Zoom call with some other medics uh, and there was a veterinarian who was there and we were talking about um, practicing decentralized medicine And a lot of that is like, what does this even mean? Or like I I have on my resumes that I have practiced decentralized leadership with the group that is trying to get rid of the statue. And like all of that means is like we're functioning as a collective. We are not being bound by these systems that capitalism has given us. Like we are taking this knowledge and we are using it for the benefit of all and we're giving it away for free. And we are just like short circuiting a lot of these systems. and and like when we name it when we name that kind of decentralized thing i i think that some people take that to be like complete and total anarchy um but anarchy in the positive way where like it's mutual aid it's we take care of us it is we build local systems instead of large systems that inevitably end up as oppression Um, and and I think that there's something really valuable to just cutting out everything that we thought was super necessary (laughs) and, and coming down to, uh, no, we can really just, if we go small enough, we can function as a collective. And that's actually a lot more healthy than what we've been doing. And I think in terms of theology, um, I like, I would rather, like pull a Thomas Aquinas on his deathbed and be like all this is straw and throw a bunch of stuff out the window if that means that we could actually start over and and reach something that is like good and true and healthy for people um now, like I, there's a lot of refining that needs to be done with that. But I also think there's there's a lot to be learned um, from these non-hierarchical ways of, of learning and teaching and caring for one another that like the church would benefit from and, and the way that we do theology and the way that we understand culture would benefit from. So like, yeah, mm-hmm. let's let's toss it out. And, and let's just say that like, this was tainted in a way that we can't fix. Um, and kind of go, go from there. I, I, I was talking to somebody, I was talking to one of my congregants, um, back in July, I guess, uh, and uh, maybe late July and talking about, um, how we talk about the founding fathers. I was talking about wanting to move the statue and all this kind of stuff and trying to put out some fires. Um, and, and my congregant said, uh, well, like all of this like pc culture you just want to get rid of the founding fathers. I was like, you can't get rid of the founding fathers. They're there. Like we we have to grapple with their legacy. My congregate was like oh, well what are we going to do? Just put an asterisk beside everybody's name who owned slaves or was racist or whatever and I was like I don't see anything wrong with that. <laughs> like yeah, there is like, yeah, no maybe. I say
0: like, what? I was like I was like yeah, maybe
2: <laughs> yeah like there, there's no there's nothing wrong with teaching the fullness of the person instead of putting them up on a pedestal saying that like Here are some ideas that we have found really important and inspirational. Here are some some deeds that were important over the course of this person's life. Also here's this other stuff that wasn't great. And and the stuff that wasn't great is again, baked into our society. Like the, the white supremacy that is necessary to enslave people, an entire continent worth of people is baked into how we function. And until we're willing to throw out the whole cake Like we're just screwed, Um, yeah. Yeah,
0: I would love to be able to teach my favorite Thomas Jefferson story, where he, uh, but with his his slave Jupiter, the story I read on the back of that cider bottle, (laughs) that I think was supposed to be good. This cider was named after Thomas Jefferson's favorite slave Jupiter, whom, after his deathbed, he said, "Well, who's gonna bottle my cider now?" (laughs) And I'm like, "Thanks, Tom." But no, I think you're right. I think you're, I think you're right about that. Um, And, and I don't think that's that complicated either. I remember, like, I think what people sense when, when other folks start talking that way is they sense, even if they, they can't quite identify it, that, that so much of the kind of historical identity of, of our country and so much of, any historical identity that we kind of inhabit is, is rooted in kind of lies or it's rooted in sort of glossing over kind of large things. Right. And so America might not be so great if its founding fathers weren't so great. Yeah, it might not be. And that's okay. And the funny, the funny thing is, is that, you know, you <laughs> Any, I'll put it this way, any good Christian should be fine with that because we already know that the nations are not so great. Right. You know, like, like I don't think that's, I don't think that's terribly um, controversial. I don't think that's terribly unorthodox. It's like when, it's like when uh, fundamentalists or evangelicals or conservatives, conservative Christians forget sometimes that all of us sin and fall short of the grace of
2: God. Right.
0: Like they forget that when it comes to themselves or when it comes to um, um, leaders or, or, or other people, it's, it's odd. I'm, I'm like, but, but why it's not that it's not so hard to come up with that when it's a liberal. It's not so hard to come up with that when it's a gay person. It's not so hard to come up with that when they're black, you know, we're just trying to extend it. Let's talk about, I don't mean to cut this conversation short, but let's talk about the, the kind of aftermath of the Jericho rally for a quick second. Mm-hmm. And all of the, the, the proud boy nonsense of tearing down Black Lives Matter signs and letting them on fire and to face and
2: cheering for- like he- i just he- i really want to emphasize the fact that it wasn't that like they took this as a very serious duty or like there were people there whose hearts were troubled uh-uh these motherfuckers cheered at this like it's it, they delighted in the evil that they were doing like i i just think that we need to name straight out that this was an evil act and they were excited to be doing it
0: it reminded me of all of the um, narratives that we read in, like, Black or womanist, uh, like, texts, whether they're they're biographies or, or fiction accounts, like Zora, um, uh, I'm going to mispronounce Zora her Niel name, that's right. You're the best. Like, like, cause I love, I, I love their eyes are watching God and some of that stuff. It's
1: mm-hmm. the eyes
0: are watching God is sort of a game changer for me in, in a lot of ways. Like the first time I read that, I was like, Oh, <laughs> like,
1: yeah. wow.
0: That's incredible. Um, it, it reminds me of all of the stories of, of, you know, what, what really happens at like when, when, when the white people get together for clan meetings, everybody just kind of gets drunk. And everybody just kind of laughs and cheers and has a good time as they terrorize black people,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, and, and, and I just really, and and you're right. Like, I just really think it's that simple. Like, yeah, what, what happened was um, the proud boys, white thugs uh, who, who see themselves as perfectly reasonable Freedom fighters, you know, sovereign human beings who forged their own destiny, like like the Vikings of old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They they just got together, got drunk, and terrorized a bunch of black people.
1: That's mm-hmm. all they
0: did. That's all they did, just like they always do. You know, it, it's when when the people when 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 that group of white guys came and killed Emmett Till. They didn't think they were doing anything divine they didn't think they were performing a, a high church liturgy they got drunk and they killed emmett till they probably chuckled and made jokes while they did it you know and and lynch mobs they don't think they're they're doing anything to benefit society people just got drunk brought their kids had a picnic laughed then lynched some black people and and like that's enough to make you a total depravity person. It is, you know, like that's enough, that's enough to make you go, yeah, people really are just bastard coated bastards with bastard filling, aren't they? Like, like it's, it's just, uh, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing high about it. Like there's nothing noble. Um, it really is just people behaving horribly Mm -hmm. and enjoying it and having a good time it's almost enough to make you augustinian
1: (laughs) it's almost
0: (laughs) almost enough to make you go maybe augustine is right like you know augustine when he steals what is he He steals that fruit when he's a kid why did i steal why did i steal that fruit or that why did i steal that pear because i liked it oh my god (laughs) I'm i'm like yeah maybe he's right you know and uh like it's disgraceful it's so disgraceful. Um, and you're right. I mean, it's pure evil. It's, 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 it's simply sin, you know, kind of kind of right out there. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not entirely sure how, um, how we as a country are supposed to kind of, I don't know what we were supposed to do with that like I suppose I suppose the proud boys are are not are not actually all that interested in in like making a statement or changing something or like engaging in dialogue or discourse or or anything like that but like I'm not entirely sure what we were supposed to do with that footage like like on their end you know were we supposed to go wow look how strong they are like
2: (laughs) well like what were they trying to prove with it
0: yeah Yeah. like in in the dead of night a bunch of drunk white assholes vandalized historically black churches like oh wow these guys are real heroes surely the deep state resided in asbury united methodist church in (laughs) in washington dc surely that's where they were lord you know and and it also displays like it also displays, once again, not only the hypocrisy, but the kind of deep rot, mm-hmm. the deep moral bankruptcy of everything that these people and this movement claims is true about themselves. It, it, it exposes them for saying, we don't give a fuck about Christianity we don't give a fuck about God. We don't even, we don't give a fuck about freedom. We don't give a fuck about any of that. We are here to get drunk and terrorize black people. That's all we, that's all we're for. That's all we're at. And we like Trump because he's one of us. Yeah. That's it. That's all what it is. And
2: because Trump um, not only. Yeah is not only one of them not only gives them permission to do this but encourages them in doing this.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I I so so one of one of the things that makes me most angry about this is the lack of reaction um from I I know that Bishop Easterling at the Baltimore Washington conference had a statement I didn't read it I'm sure it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. Um I know that david McAllister wilson at wesley theological seminary are the our great
0: friend. moral mind
2: <laughs> uh <and> he <laughs> the, had a statement. The,
0: so- the socially conscious one david yeah. McAllister wilson i
2: and i didn't read it because uh, i i i'm sure i knew what it said but you know what like no statement from my bishop nothing in in my conference nobody mentioned it i didn't mention it because i had recorded pre-recorded my sermon and i wasn't going to go back in and and change it on that late on Saturday night because uh, I'm tired. But like, I get it. I, I, I'm just floored. Like, no, this isn't a bombing. Yes, this is a, a a bunch of overprivileged white men thinking they can just do this kind of shit. Um, the, there's, I'm sure there's minor consequences for their actions, but like, not severe enough. I mean, you just, just imagine what. I don't even need to go that route. I was going to be like, imagine if they were Black. But like one of the best tweets I saw was if this was happening in another country, we would be reporting it as violent supporters of an ousted president are committing violence in the nation's capital. And and that's not how anybody saw it. Like the the depth of the problem that's revealed in these actions is is just papered over is ignored and I um I will continue to be amazed that the white church in the United States that white United Methodist churches uh, across the United States were just like oh uh you know like it's just a sign or whatever it doesn't matter like it I, and I don't want to like parade like I got fired for being so brave from my pulpit, because that's not the situation here. But the fact that I was involved in very minimal uh, racial justice work in my community, and that was enough for somebody to come intimidate me at my workplace, for uh, my my house not to be safe and for me to need to get security cameras, um, for for my congregation to feel that the safest thing for everybody was for me to not be here anymore, because they couldn't risk supporting me in this type of a situation. Like, we we as white people and we as white Christians don't We have no idea what it means to actually sacrifice for the gospel. We have no idea how to deal with situations like this where, where like there should be a clear condemnation. It shouldn't even be a question. And instead of like even raising the question of, should I say something, there's just silence everywhere. I like i don't know what to do after these heretics paraded around pretending that trumpism is actually christianity and we can't say anything about that and then there's violence that evening where people got stabbed and we we aren't willing to say that's not right that's not the way of christ like what's wrong with us i i i I had my meeting with my DCOM today, uh, to talk about surrendering my license, but continuing to be a candidate. Um, and they're like, well, tell us about your transition. And I was like, ha, I'm finding a job. We're doing stuff. I'm going, I'm moving. I'm doing the transition. Um, and we talked through it. It was like, well, really, we just need to hear that you want to surrender your license, but stay a candidate. And I was like, cool. That's what I want. And they said, is there anything else you want to say to us? And, I, like what I what I ended up saying was that like I have a lot of hurt from this experience because um, I was doing I, I, because my congregation chose to not support me, um, chose to value their own like safety over mine, their own comfort, over what I was preaching. Um, and I know there's a lot of reasons why they reacted that way. and I know that there are different ways that I could have handled it that maybe would have produced other reactions. Like I'm aware that something could have been tweaked in this. but like at the end of the day, like they did harm to me. Um, and they're also harming their witness by staying as they are. Um, and the DCOM took that, took that really well. Um, and, and one of them like thanked me for my bravery. <laughs> I was like, cool. I mean, I'm leaving, <laughs> but thank you. Um, and, and my district superintendent really thanked me for preaching the whole gospel and I was like, I be, like these are all good things. I'm I'm here for all this, but like, I don't think you understand. We are dying because we are unwilling to follow Christ. We have traded the things of this world for the gospel, and and I need us to be different. Otherwise, we should just give up on being Christians in the United States because we have no witness anymore. We are not willing to condemn things that must be condemned. Like there's just, there's nothing here and we absolutely desperately need for there to be something here.
0: You're right. And, and, you know, I mean, I think, I, you know, I think you're great and I think that you're a very good pastor and I, you know, that I think that this is all bullshit. Um, that the, your church is doing to you and, and to themselves. But um, I also really don't think it's that complicated, you know, from like a church, when you talk about church dying, I really don't think it's that complicated. Churches are dying ultimately for two reasons. One, they're, they're really just not interested in being churches, um, you know, and doing that hard work in an age that doesn't baby them. Like hmm. other ages might have. Uh, but, two, like, you know, I, I think the scriptures are, are pretty clear on, on how churches survive. Churches survive and thrive when, the, when they listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and, and they follow Jesus it's kind of that easy. It's not easy, but, but it, but it is kind of that easy. Like
2: it's that simple. It's that direct. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's that direct. It's that simple. Like, sure. Perhaps the church might not look the way you want it to. Perhaps it might be filled with vulnerable people. Perhaps it might be filled with people who, you know, one might need to deal with things in themselves to see as sisters and brothers sure but like it'll certainly thrive
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and and i find i don't know i just i i've always found that to be very odd like how are we going to grow our church well i mean are you following jesus well of course we are well well, that's obviously not true
1: Mm
0: -hmm. you know it's obviously not true we already know that We, we already know that's not i mean unless you think jesus is a liar you know, and that's like, it's not that it's OK when I so when I say that's OK, that that's part of it is, is me trying to like not get crushed under the weight of like feeling terrible. But the other part of it is it's me trying to shed the Christian nationalism that is whatever is within me. You know, yeah, it's OK that we're not the biggest and strongest. It really is it's okay that we don't have people swinging from the rafters, you know, every Sunday. It really is. That's okay. If church is not your thing, it totally is. Okay.
2: Can That's I, all fine. Can we just rewind yes. people swinging Please. from the rafters?
0: That might be a pro wrestling phrase that you might not be familiar with.
2: Okay. Me- meaning,
0: meaning that the building is packed.
2: Gotcha. I was thinking like, in terms of nooses, and I was like, "That's not what we want."
0: Okay. No, that's that's in no way what I meant. In no way what I meant. Uh,
2: okay, it, <laughs> I just want, want to clarify meaning for that others.
0: meaning that the event space is packed, and the only place for people to be are in the ceiling. You know.
2: I kind of like that image now that I now that I have it. <laughs> now that I have the context. <laughs> right. Sorry. Right. Keep going.
0: There's some great pro wrestling uh, stories that I can regale you of of pro wrestlers talking about little events in, in gymnasiums where where the, the the gymnasium only only seats 200 people but there were 600 people and they were <laughs> you know on top of each other and it's beautiful i'll tell you one at the end that that you have no context for but it is funny um <laughs> uh like i say all that because it really is okay it's okay for the church i serve to only have 90 people on a sunday mm-hmm. it really is If I, if I thought that those 90 people were really, really seeking after God's heart and you know what, on a good day, I really thought that Hmm. I did not have a bad church. You know, people come at different times. That's all fine. We don't have to, like I said, we don't have to be a mega church. You know, oftentimes the mega church exists precisely because all these other churches are not following the gospel and people Hmm. are looking for a religion to subscribe to even though that religion time and time again proves itself to be a killer, (laughs) you know, like, like any other human institution. Um, It's all necropolitics all the way down. (laughs) Um, It's okay. But the church has no prayer, has no way of existing unless there are people who are just kind of prepared to follow Jesus. Yeah. And, and and that following Jesus means um, living into our baptism in all of its ways, resisting the forces of evil, all of that. And that way of following Jesus also means um, embodying uh, practices and virtues that that are, you know, odd and strange in situations that that you would feel odd and strange to be in. It means that, um, it means that we, when we're a part of a group of people who are desperately looking to follow Jesus, we're prepared to forgive one another. Uh, when we when we fuck up, does that mean that we become you know that we're prepared to forgive one another when you know and and get stomped over when we have no church body surrounding us and supporting us? No, because that that's a form of that's a form of suicide and that's not helpful. But it does mean that we embody practices that that cause people around us to go I think I might have a home here I think I think I Mm. might find abundant life here
1: Mm. I think
0: I might find a new world here a new way of living here yeah it does and so I'm 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 always a little shocked a little shocked when churches are confused right like why aren't we growing well or is this a place where new life happens or not well, what are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. What am I talking about? <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. Right. What am I talking about? And, and, and once again, like I, I make this distinction every now and again on the podcast, not because I get nervous, but because it's true about me. The, the reason why I'm into the, the justice work and, and, and the critical race stuff and, and all of my, my woke left politics is because I think God is here.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's it
0: that's it that's all that's all like i'm 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 looking for the new life you know i want people to have the new life i want me to have the new life if i didn't think that's what it would be i wouldn't be doing it yeah it has nothing to do with a radical takeover of the world you know it's not that it's me going oh jesus I, i that's who i'm looking for i'm looking for
2: jesus Right, we're not pinky in the brain here, right? Our, our goal really is not, not to take what are you your...
1: going to do today,
0: Brian? <laughs> the same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to make everyone left us. <laughs> That'd,
2: every <laughs> That'd
0: be amazing. That'd be amazing. What you, you think we should just get rid of your, your student debt? Next, you're going to want to cancel my mortgage, huh? Yeah, sounds great.
2: What a shame. <laughs> Perfect. yeah i know and i think i i think for me a lot of my frustration is that i have tried um going along to get along i have tried just the toast christianity that i that that shaped and formed me in a lot of really important ways but like that is now is not enough right like i i sure they teed me up to do some really great work but like Now I am not finding Christ in that because Christ wasn't really there. This was all, it it was preparation for meeting a different Jesus than where Jesus is. But, but like, I've tried, I've tried to stay in the church and I've tried to just do what we've been doing. And like, life is not here. And that's not my fault. That's not me. That's not my problem. That is a problem that the church has. And, and I, I, I felt so much rejection from my church in the past couple of weeks. Uh, one, because I've announced that I'm leaving and they know they don't have to put up with me. And and so they're less careful than they might be otherwise. Um, but two, like, so much of it seems like, well, we're just going to keep on going. Like, you leave. You are the problem. You're, you're the one who wants to get out of here. and And it's not that I want to get out of here. It's not that I'm a problem. It's that I want to... I want to follow Jesus. I want to do this right. I'm tired of doing this wrong. And you don't want to follow me in doing that. You don't trust me to do that. You don't think that I have any wisdom or any value to give you whatsoever. Like, since I've stopped being your performing monkey, like, you you don't care. And that's a little callous. And that's a little bit of an exaggeration. But there definitely is an aspect of, um, I, I'm not doing... Uh, the things that make them feel the way they want to feel, and therefore they've just kind of written me off because I'm the problem and, and they're not. And I really... I really need white churches to have a real, that's, that's the only thing I can really speak to like white Protestant churches. I need us to have a real reckoning with our souls to see like, have we been following Jesus at all? And I think we're going to find, especially coming out of this pandemic that if we were following Jesus, it was only half-heartedly and in a very lukewarm way that allows us to let christian nationalists say whatever they want and allows people to drunkenly terrorize black people and not say a goddamn thing about it
0: it's true it's true um friends thanks for listening this has been an episode of what the hell is a pastor we are ethan and joe and we will see you next time
2: That's good.